It is good to have everyone out again this morning. Um, as we continue our study on the Sermon on Mount, Mount, we started last week with just two verses, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. But we showed how the people, the multitudes were coming and were desiring to hear the words that Jesus spoke. Just as in the days of Ezra, when Ezra was sitting there and he, he got on top of the pulpit and he was above the people so that they could see the book be open, and they stood there for almost, uh, I say about six hours, we don't know the exact time, but it said from morning to midday, and they were there attentive to hear the word of God being read aloud. And how when they heard the word spoken, how they mourned afterwards. Because they knew what they had, the transgressions that they had done against God actually is what put them in that captivity that they were in. And so sometimes uh, things that happen in our life, it will humble us. And then we begin to seek for God. Tragedies will make us humble, and we will search for God. And so this morning, it's part two. I don't know how long this series will go on, um, but we are going to start the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes are actually going to be a two-part. Um, but as Sean had read the verses that we're going to uh, go over this morning, Matthew chapter 3, I think it was through 6, I believe is what, what he read, Matthew 5, 3 through 6. And so we're going to start out with poor. Uh, point number one this morning is poor. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And so that word blessed there, it comes from the Greek word makarios, makaris. And it means supremely blessed, by extension, fortunate, well-off, blessed, happy. And so people are always trying to find their happiness. Well, Jesus is going to give us a description of what true happiness is. If you want true happiness, have these characteristics. And so the first one this morning that we're going to take a look at is to have poor, poor to be poor in spirit, uh, humility. Anyone that's striving for God, it's got to be that humility. If we're high-minded and proud, we don't need God. We can do all things on our own. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, For all those things with my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look. Well, who is God going to be looking for? Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit that trembleth at my word. So our Greek word for, uh, well, I think this might actually be a Hebrew word. I wish I would have made a notation. But the Hebrew word here for that poor is ani. It means afflicted, humble, lowly, needy, poor. And so someone that's in a humble and of a contrite spirit, well, they're going to tremble at the word of God. In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 3, He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offered an oblation as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blessed an idol. Well, see, this is the contrast. This is the kind of spirit that we do not want to have. When they, what? Yea, they have chosen their own ways, 
and their soul delighteth in their abominations. And so the man that had done these things doesn't have that poor and contrite spirit. They're high-minded. They want to do the things their own way. And so all those offerings to God were what? They were not uh, accepted by God. They were actually abominations. And so we're seeing the contrast here is those that have, are high-minded to do it their way. However, the humble, poor in spirit fears God's word and does it what? His way. It's all about humility. Did not Jesus himself humble himself in the form of a man? And even humbled himself to the obedience to death on the cross. And so Jesus is such a great example of humility. Think of the creator humbling himself to the creation. Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 23. O Lord, I know that the way of man is what? Not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And so Jeremiah is saying, we know that we cannot direct our own steps because the man of way of man is evil, but the way of God is righteousness. And so if Jesus is teaching on the mount to the multitudes, it makes sense to start off with what? Humility. If they're not humble, they're not going to listen to anything that Jesus has to say. They're not going to make application to anything that Jesus has to say. That is the ability to acknowledge your wrongdoing and striving to repent of it. That's the kind of humility that we have to bring up to ourselves. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul's dealing with those ones that are high-minded uh, to the young preacher Timothy. He said, charge them that are rich in this world. And so he's talking about people of wealth status, that they be what? Not high-minded. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And so if they just put their trust in their riches and not in God, they're high-minded. Because they said, because I've been able to do this and accomplish this, I don't need God. But look how Luke accounts, uh, uh, records these Beatitudes. In Luke chapter 6, verse 20, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor. It, it doesn't say spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so, think about uh, just what Paul was writing to Timothy. He was saying that they be not high-minded, that they be humble. Even those that are rich, they needed to be humble and put their trust in God. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 23? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. And they were like, this is a hard saying. You're saying that the wealthy are not going to ever be able to make it in the kingdom of heaven. But why? There's a reason why the rich will have a tough time entering uh, heaven. In Mark's account, in Mark chapter 10, verse 24, and the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that what? Trust in riches to enter in the kingdom of God. And so if we put our trust in our riches and not in God, it's going to be very hard for us to enter. Because what happens when we lose our riches? What happens to our spirit? Their trust, is, uh, of course, is in their riches and not in their God. In Psalms chapter 52, verse 7, 
The psalmist writes, Lo, this is the man that made not God his strength. Well, who's this man? Who said that God is not his strength? Well, it's the one that trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his witness. And so, a wickedness. And so, when we don't find God to be our strength, but we put our trust in our own strengths, that's when we are going to fail. Matthew chapter 32, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. Now, this is the sower of the seed. And this is someone that had obeyed the gospel, but listen. He also that received seed seed among his thorns is he that heareth the word. But what's going to happen? The care of this world and the deceitfulness of his riches, of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. It is not that the rich will not obey the gospel, but it is the attitude towards their possessions that will hinder them. They become high-minded. And so here we can see that even the rich will even be what? Poor in spirit. That is, humble themselves to be able to enter into heaven. But every one of these, he's going to say, what's a reward? If you can be poor in spirit, if you can humble yourself, what is your reward? And so again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humility leading to obedience to the gospel will put one in the church, the earthly phase of the kingdom, and continual humility will lead one to inherit the heavenly phase of the kingdom. And so if we are truly humble through our life, we have to be humble when we obey the gospel, but we have to remain humble as we strive to please God and to enter into the heavenly phase of the kingdom. Point number two this morning is mournful. Mournful. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What did the, did the people do after Ezra read the law? They were mournful, as we looked at last week. They wept. They were mournful because they realized the things they were doing were contrary to what God uh, demanded of them. What leads to repentance? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. When Paul's writing that second letter there to the Corinthians, he says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to what? Salvation. Not to be repented of. And so when we have that godly sorrow, just as those people did on, in the day of Ezra, it's going to leave us to salvation. But if we repent of that, we become sorrowful for the world. What is it going to equal? But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And so if we ever become mournful because we left the world and we go back to it, we become lost once again and we become spiritually dead to God. And when the judgment comes, we will be tormented for eternity. And so we can see it's the intention of our mourning. Is it mourning towards God, mourning towards his law, or is it mourning because we left the world, we left sin? Are we mournful? Because one's going to lead us to life, but the other one's going to lead us to death. How is the church to react to those who are involved in sin but have not repented? 
in the first letter to the Corinthians, the first Corinthians chapter five, verses one and two. This is dealing with the man that had his father's wife. It is reportedly common that there is a fornication among you, and such fornication as it is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. But notice their attitude. This goes back to our first point. And ye are puffed up. Pride, arrogant. And have not rather mourned. They shouldn't have been puffed up. They should have been mourning. That he that have done this deed might be taken away from among you. And so church, church discipline cannot be ignored. They should have been mournful. Well, why should they have been mournful? Uh, again, we're going to go look at that Greek word for puffed up. It comes from the Greek word pusio to inflate, i.e. figuratively make proud, haughty, or puffed up. Well, that was their, their attitude, and, and Paul's saying that's not the attitude you should have been. And so they're being arrogant, high-minded, and proud. That's going to keep one from mourning. Mourning from their brothers and sisters, you're going to be like, well, I, I don't care. Who cares? It's not affecting me. But Paul's going to let them know that it does. Know you not a little leaven, leaven the whole lump? When you allow sins to penetrate the walls, well, we won't say the wall. When you allow it to uh, penetrate the congregations of the believers of Christ, it becomes what? Okay. Right? You set the standard. If you allow it, then anything else anybody else does, it sets the precedence. And so they were told to get the leaven out, get the sin out, put this man away. It's so told so many times in that chapter that they are to withdraw from him. Well, why should we be mournful? One that is living in sin, they are lost, they are spiritually dead. If we truly care about one another as we should, as the body, uh, the Bible has told us to do all things in love, caring for one another, edifying one another, then we should be mournful when we know that, that someone is spiritually dead because of the sin that they are involved in. What about Paul to the Ephesians? How did Paul uh, say that he, he thought about them? In Acts chapter 20, verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears. Notice, humility and mourning. And temptations which befell me by the lying in way of the Jews. How was Paul serving the Lord? In verse 20, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. And so he was teaching them. That's how he was serving the Lord. He was teaching them. He was doing it publicly as we are today, but he was even going to their houses, teaching them. Well, what was he teaching? Verse 21, Testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance towards God. He was telling them, you need to be mournful. You need to be humility. You need to have that humility. And what? Faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So what was he doing? He was teaching them the gospel. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul was Paul was mourning this church. Why? In Acts chapter 20, verse 29 and 30, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also, your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things and draw away disciples after himself. He knew because the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that before too much longer, false teachers were going to enter in. And the sad part was it was going to enter in into the eldership there in Ephesus. And that what? They were going to speak perverse things, things contrary to the doctrine of Christ. And they weren't going to draw disciples after Christ because they're speaking perverse things. They were going to have disciples after themselves. And so that was very mournful that false doctrine was going to enter into the church of Christ. And so what's going to happen? Souls are going to be devoured from the kingdom by these false teachers because they're going to be plucked out of God's hand when they start obeying these false teachings. Later in the chapter, we see that he had tears once again because he says, I know that I'll not see your face again. Paul had gave so much to the Ephesians there and he could see what was going to happen in the future and he was mournful. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 Jesus says blessed are they that mourn for what they shall be comforted. Be happy that you're going to mourn but know this you're going to be comforted. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And so we're going to be comforted. And so this is talking about after the judgment, we will be comforted. But how about if we die before the Lord returns? Will we be comforted? Luke chapter 16, verse 25, this is talking about the rich man and Lazarus. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things. He's talking to the rich man. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is, Lazarus, is being comforted, and thou art tormented. And so we can find great comfort that even if we pass before the Lord returns, we will be in a place of comfort. And so this would be in the Hadean realm. In paradise, we will receive comfort. Point number three this morning is meek. Meek. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That meek comes from the Greek word prousi. Uh, it means, uh, I probably said that really wrong. It looks like it should be prous. I'm just going to say prowess. Uh, mild, i.e. by implication, humble, meek. Um, but it tells us that, the, that it's coming from the word 4235. And so what will humility yield? And, and you go to 4235, that comes from the Greek word praos. It's used in certain parts. It means gentleness, humble, meek. And so it'll, it'll, we'll have, when we're, hum, have a humble spirit, We'll treat mankind with gentleness because we're not high-minded. When we're high-minded, see, we become arrogant and we don't care about people's feelings. All we care about is what's self. But humility will cause one to be gentle and kind to others. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Well, what are we to learn? For I am meek and lowly in heart. 
and ye shall find rest upon your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that, that Greek word meek there is that praos, which means gentle. And then that word for lowly there is tapanos. It means base, cast down, humble, low degree, uh, estate, lowly. We had talked about how he had humbled himself to a man. He he'd made himself of no reputation. He could have chose any uh, anybody, but what did he choose? He chose the wife of a carpenter. He didn't choose a wife of a ruler. And so he's telling them, and he tells us today that we are to be gentle and we are to be humble. In Psalms chapter 31, verse 11, it says, But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Well, meekness is gentleness, being peaceable to men. In James chapter 1, verse 20, it says, For the wrath of man worketh not righteousness of God. And so if we're, we're quick to fly off the handle, if we are uh, always angry at people, we're not working the righteousness of God. God does not want us to have wrath. In Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18, when Paul's writing to the Romans, he says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. Well, see, that's what our nature is, right? If something does something evil to us, the first thing we want to do is retaliate. But Paul's telling them don't do it. Provide things honest in sight of all men, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you live peacefully with all men. And so what does this tell me? In some instances, we cannot live peaceably with all men. Because he says, if it be possible. Some men are not going to be peaceable. You're not just not going to be able to do it. But God's telling us how to react. Jesus later is going to tell us how to react. He's going to tell us to turn that cheek. If you can't live peacefully, just turn your cheek. Let them smoke you on the other side. But don't, don't act out in anger or violence and try to recompense evil for evil. In Romans 12, verses 19 through 21, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. And so he's saying don't, don't avenge yourselves, but rather give place on the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, saith the Lord. And so just as uh, Jimmy had uh, went this morning, we were studying the book of Romans, and it said there that God's wrath will be revealed on that day, the day of judgment. That's when the things that are done evil to us by other people, that's when God will have his vengeance. That was when we were studying in the Old Testament. And we saw that Dinah was defiled. And we saw her brothers, like, they went to avenge her. But God wasn't pleased. He's the avenger, not us. Therefore, if thy enemy... Now, this is these are hard words to swallow. If, y'all, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heat coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil good. And so if you left off verse 21, it sounds like, well, by doing this, you're just going to make his punishment worse. But no, what are you doing? you're going to work on that person's conscience. If you treat someone that treats you evil with kindness, 
eventually your goodness should overcome their evil. Jesus wasn't weak, but he was kind. As a lamb led to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Show gentleness with your enemies. Your good deeds will work on his conscience. In doing so, you will make it uncomfortable for them. That is the key to overcoming evil. Now, did Jesus show some things when he flipped the money changers' tables and stuff? But they were disgracing the temple. They had made the place of worship a place of merchandise. When we see false teachings, we don't have to be kind and gentle. We need to be firm so that they know that the things that they're teaching are contrary to the word of God and we're not going to, what, stand for it. We have to stand for what? The faith in all things. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 15 Solomon says by long forbearing is a prince persuaded and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. Being kind and having patience with people men can be persuaded of their wrongs. You think about the bone or the hard headedness of people. A kind and gentle word will do wonders on that, that hardness. to have that change of heart. You remember when Paul and Silas was in prison and the evil that the jailer was, was giving them at one moment and then the kindness that he was giving them the next. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And so we seek what? We seek the new heaven and the new earth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. That's that day of wrath, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. See, in this earth and in this heavens, there's wickedness. But when we get to where God is, there will be nothing but righteousness. He is righteousness. Number, point number four, our final point this morning, will be thirst and hunger. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In the day of Ezra, they were there thirsting and hungering for the word of God. Remember, they were the one that requested it. They were like, read us the law. And so there must be that desire for righteousness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so we are to look for, long for God's righteousness. In Psalms chapter 119 verse 172, the psalm says, my tongue shall speak of thy word. Well, why are we going to speak of God's word? For all thy commandments are what? Righteousness. 
We should desire the word of God because it's his righteousness. The way of man is not in himself. If we want to spiritually grow as God would have us, we have to what? Feed on it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may therefore, uh, that ye may grow thereby. It's only by feeding on the word of God that we can grow spiritually. We meet four times for a total of four hours a week. When we meet, we study the word of God, whether it be through Bible class or through preaching. How long did they stand to hear the word of God proclaimed by Ezra at one city? Almost six hours. Physical ailments may hinder you from coming. However, you have a Bible study at home. Get an audio Bible to listen in the car. There are audio Bible apps for smartphones. Purchase one of those. Don't forsake the one thing we need to live spiritually. You got to put the evil out and put the good in, and the only way you can do that is through His engrafted Word. In John chapter six, verse twenty-seven, Jesus says, "What labor not for the meat which perish? What are we to labor for? But for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For Him hath God the Father sealed." And so we are to uh, labor for that spiritual meat. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, isn't that what Paul tells Timothy? Study to show thyself approved unto God. What? A workman is labor. That needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Studying is different from reading. I think reading is very good, but studying the word of God, and, and I think Jimmy can attest, in the last year we've done a lot of studying, and it's been for, it, I don't know how much benefit y'all are getting out of it, but it's, it's benefited me uh, immensely. But then, if, I, if you're not getting any understanding out of it, that goes back to Ezra, and that's not good either. So let give us feedback so we can work on that. Because if you're not getting understanding, we're not doing what we should be doing with the Word of God. In John chapter 6, verse 35, well, what is this, this spiritual meat? And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And so are we willing to come to Jesus? Are we willing to be humble enough to come to Christ? If we come, we will be fed. If we believe his teachings, we will drink. John chapter 4, four verse, uh, when John chapter 4, verse 14, when he's talking to that Samaritan lady at the well, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, he's talking about salvation there. And so if we are willing to drink of the teachings of Christ, then we will have everlasting life. Well, how does one obey their physical thirst? They drink. If we obey his teachings, we will have everlasting life. Luke chapter 5, verse 18. Look at the, the great lengths that was done for this man who was physically ill to get into the presence of Christ. And behold, men, be, and behold, men brought in a bed 
a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in to lay him before him. And so they're seeking to bring this man lying in his couch, uh, as I think if you go look at the Greek, his bedding, what he was able to lay on, and they're wanting to desire to bring him in. Well, why did they, why were they seeking a way? Luke chapter 5, verse 19. And when they could not find by that way they might bring him in because of what? The multitude. Well, did that discourage them? Did they go back home? No, they went up on upon the housetop and let him through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Great lengths were made to bring this man before, before Christ. What does Jesus do for this man? He's coming there because of his physical ailments. Luke chapter 5 verse 20, And when he saw their faith, well, they had faith just as much as this man had faith because they were willing to take the roof apart and lower him down. He said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. The man came for physical healing, and Jesus healed him spiritually. But there was some murmuring and complaining, saying, How dare you blaspheme and say that you can forgive sins? Matthew chapter 5, verse 24 but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. What is Jesus going to do? He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thy house. He performed a miracle to prove who he was. Time and time again we're seeing what the true purpose of miracles were. And so he healed the man physically. Which healing was more important? Too many times people say it's the physical. Our spiritual well-being is more important than God than our physical. But you know what? He said, if you seek me and my righteousness, all these things will be added onto you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? For they shall be filled. Physically, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Well, what, what things are going to be added unto you? In verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? These are all physical needs for our bodies. Well, how about spiritual? In Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, when we did the study on the seven churches, he that hath near, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh. And so what's going to be the reward to those that are able to overcome? Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God? God's going to feed us spiritually when we get there. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6 and 7. And he said unto him, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And so again, if we're able to overcome, we're going to be able to drink freely from the water of life. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. 
And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And so we eat when we come, we drink when we believe, and we are, we are clothed when we obey. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That Greek word for the, the phrase put on is from enduo, in the sense of sinking into a garment. To invest with clothing, literally or figuratively, arrayed, clothed with, endue, have put on. And so when we have been baptized in Christ, we have been clothed with Christ. And so here this morning, if there's not any that have obeyed the gospel of Christ, we invite you to, to obey his gospel on his terms, not on man's terms. We have a verse for everything that we will put forth in this invitation. It starts by hearing the word of God. You must desire to hear it as we have noticed both mornings, uh, last week and this week. That's how our faith is to grow. That's how we develop our faith. Romans 10, 17, so that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Then we must believe from what we've read that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. From the, from the signs that Jesus did, he proved who he was, and by us reading it, we believe it. Just on that day when he said, your sins are forgiven ye, and all those naysayers said, blaspheme. You have no power which belongs to God. And he said, to show you I do, this man pick up and walk. That's what our faith. That was what, what the intention was, was of the miracles then. It's the same intentions for us, but we have it in a written form. We can't physically see it. We have to have spiritual eyes to see it. Then, you, as we had read this morning, you have to be mournful. Well, that mournful will cause one to repent. Jesus says, without repentance, repentance we will perish. Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5. And then you must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Well, if you believe it, why not confess it? Confess it to everyone that you come across with kindness and gentleness. We have to be peacekeepers, and we're going to get that further in our text as we study. But you have to confess, and the Ethiopian eunuch is the best example of that in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, when he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then you must allow someone to immerse you in water to have your sins washed away, Acts 22, 16. That is the only way that you're going to be clothed in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. And then you must live what? Faithful, because we have to overcome this world. We can't go back in. We have to overcome it. Every reward is to he that overcometh. Happy are ye, blessed are ye. If you are found faithful at the end, Revelation 2.10, he will give you a crown of life. Again, another reward that God's willing to bestow on his children. Perhaps you have obeyed, but you have strayed. You have had mourned for the world and not mourned, been mournful to God's word. If, if perhaps you need help in either way, if you'll come to the front, it's together we stand and sing the song of encouragement.